Well, it's a privilege to be here with you all. Thank you to Covenant College and to Grant and the chapel staff for marking this day. Uh, it's, it's exciting. When I was at RTS, I, uh, and I'm not going off script anymore. This is the only time. Um, I'll run out of time. But I was uh, just finished eight years in, got out. I'm in my freshman year at RTS. And uh, on, on Veterans Day, one of our civilian classmates, there's maybe four or five veterans in our class, walks in, goes around and shakes all our hands and says, thank you for your service, thank you for your service. And I'm just perplexed. I'm not a veteran. He's like, what are you talking about? Because I had in my mind our wonderful World War II grandfathers and great-grandfathers or maybe Korean or some Vietnam vets. I was not thinking of myself as a vet. I mean, I was a 29-year-old seminary student. Come on, just spent a few years in the Army. I'm a vet. So thank you for doing that. And he mentioned my direct connection here with Covenant is John. John, where are you? Oh, there you are. Sitting with Chief. All right, John. But, but I'll tell you, I have a long-term connection, not just because I'm a PCA teaching elder, but throughout the years, your uh, brothers and sisters ahead of you have been in different places I've served, to include the military, but also I've just met them in churches. And so Covenant College continues to have a pretty profound impact worldwide. So you got, you got big shoes to fill, but you also got great, great plans um, ahead of you. I'm convinced of that. And I'm going to suggest to you that the opportunities are rich and profound out there for you to serve and impact our society. I think they're as boundless as ever. You take your education, you take your calling, and you go out there, and God's going to use you for amazing future and even present situations. And I think there will be windows opening, doors opening for you, and kingdom work beyond what you can imagine. And I'm going to encourage you today to have courage to walk through those doors or jump through those windows as the case may be. The Lord saved me. I was a freshman at Auburn University, um, and I came to faith in Christ and started following him, having no idea what waited for me. Uh, and I still have no idea what waits for me in terms of the future, but we're excited about it, my wife and I both, and our children. Um, I would say that because of the profound challenges that you face, uh, I talked to some of you yesterday, some juniors and seniors, and I know you're staring at graduation, and it's kind of daunting. The transition from being a young person growing up in your home and now in college is, is amazingly uh, challenging, and I know there's a lot of unknowns, so even more your need to be encouraged to have courage. And I think faith in Christ gives you the courage that you need, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, I hope. Because I think what you and I all need, what we need is a daunting attitude. And I don't mean the kind of attitude that we used to get disciplined for, you know? But a daunting attitude to face life's tests. Uh, and I believe in Christ, that attitude will not only match, it will far outstrip any challenges that you are going to face. Uh, when I entered the service initially of Uncle Sam, I was a believer. I was a Christian officer that wanted to serve the Lord as a line officer. It took a while for me to answer the call to ministry. But I was serving him then. And, I'll, and I would just say to you that when my wife and I entered and began to move around the world, because we were both born and raised in Alabama. I'd never lived anywhere else. My wife had never even crossed the Mississippi River or the Mason-Dixon line. That's a certain blessing, honestly, but... Uh, we had no idea when we left what wonder, what privileges, and what cataclysmic
John, you didn't pray enough. I wasn't supposed to do this. What amazing events awaited us. Um, but it was the clear calling of God on our lives and the clear presence, the unmistakable presence of Christ with us that have seen us through these next 35 years and we're expecting to take us for however many more he blesses us with. So I'm not going to give you a lot of illustrations. Grant and I talked about that. I may give you a couple personal people interest things because I want to jump into Romans 8, which is our text. I think y'all visited that recently. read a lot of Romans, John was telling me, which was great. Just reading through the book of Romans. We're going to jump to Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8, and I will really read about four or five verses and jump off from there. Uh, Some have observed that if Romans 8 is the high point of Scripture, that doesn't mean it's more biblical. Don't you quote me. Don't anyone turn me into my brand new presbytery. I'm not saying it's more the Word of God. I'm not saying it's more authoritative. But theologians have observed, if Romans is the high point in one sense of Scripture in terms of unpacking the fullness of the Gospel, J.I. Packer observes then Romans 8 is the high point of Romans. And I think it's pretty powerful. The message that we're going to look at real briefly here is that in Christ we have a new identity. In Christ we have an inheritance. And in Christ we have an intercessor that will give us the courage required to face not only hopefully, but eagerly, what God is going to call you to. <clears throat> Romans 8 starts with, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I'm going to jump down. You've got to read the rest on your own. <laughs> That's a good challenge, right? Fill in from 1 to 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. So there's a lot more here that we don't have time, but I commend it to you. Because what Paul is saying here, he's asking a question based on everything he has said previously. Not just the rest of chapter 8, but the entire letter to the Romans. He's saying, with this in mind... We have to ask ourselves a question. If God is for us, what shall we say to these things? And then he gives us what we should say afterwards in the subsequent uh, verses. I think that Scripture, as you know, always demands a response in faith. This is an interesting passage. It demands an answer. He wants you, he wanted the Romans Christians to answer. He wants all of, to the Spirit, all of Christians to answer these questions. What shall we say to these things? All these things that he has said here. In Christ, God has given us great and present freedom. That's the first verse in in Acts 1, I mean in uh, Romans 8. The first verse is about, you are free. There is no condemnation. Not even from yourself. I don't know if any of you practice this terrible flesh practice that I do. I'll condemn myself as good as anybody. That's not good grammar, is it? As well as anybody. You cannot even stand against that condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. So Paul is asking, what shall we say to these things? And it's important that you begin to know, and some of you are, I know, you're already knowing these things, you're already understanding, you're already experiencing these things. But it's, you, you have to know what these things are. Paul is referring to here. John Calvin says, Faith rests not on ignorance, but on knowledge. 
because of reconciliation affected through Christ and that Christ himself has given to us as righteousness, sanctification, and life. So we have to look a little further at what these things are. I've already mentioned our identity in Christ. If you are in Christ, and that's a big if. Listen, we come to faith at all different times in life. God is working a work in your life. You may have trusted in Christ and have been walking with him for many years. Some of you aren't sure about this. So much of what I'm going to say applies if, and he uses that phrase periodically, even frequently, if you are in Christ, if you are in the faith, if you are in the Spirit, there's a very important if, but if you are in Christ, the first thing we need to hit upon is your identity. Your identity. Here's the first real person illustration. In 2005, I was in Afghanistan. First, first rotation in combat with a soft task force, soft special operations forces. And I go down to an airfield, very hot day in Afghan summer, and we're taking water and some things to some troops that are down there on that airfield. Not conventional at all. Every one of the war fighters is Afghan. And they're not in uniform, but they're heavily armed. And there's two, we call them gringos. That's not meant any, in any way. It's just how they, they called us that because they want to differentiate who we were and we learned that from our um, Hispanic brothers that, you know, let's just call all of us gringos and then the Afghans will know. <laughs> and they would call us that. But anyways, the point is there were two Americans there and they weren't in uniform. And one of them, young guy, I think he was maybe 30, 31. He says, hey, chaplain, how's it going? Turns out he works for a three-letter agency in what's called the ground branch, and he's got a troop of unconventional warfighters, and they're waiting down there at the airfield to go on a mission to capture somebody. He goes, so you're, what's your denomination? Just very direct. I said, I'm PCA. He goes, oh, outstanding. He goes, so you're reformed and you're evangelical? I said, yeah. He goes, let me tell you, I was raised in a PCA church in, you know, I won't say the city, he told me, in uh, West Tennessee. He goes, and my parents did a great job. My church did a great job of discipling me. I went to the Air Force Academy. I got recruited out of the Air Force Academy. And now I'm working here in this shadowy world. Nothing, nothing does a better job for me that, than knowing that my identity is in Christ and w working and living and leading these guys in this shadowy world. I was just stunned. His testimony, and the whole time there was about a 50-something-year-old just haggard, rough-looking American veteran in the CIA. I didn't mean to say that agency, but, you know, three-letter agency. And he listened to every word we spoke back and forth for an hour of faith, and he never said a word. And I realized at the end, this was a testimony of this young man to his old partner in this fight, and it was powerful to hear his testimony, the importance of identity. Is identity important? You know it is. Who you are, and more importantly, what we're getting to here, whose you are. You belong to Christ. And this young man had that sense. I belong to him. I don't have any issues with ethical decisions. I know I have to do what is moral, legal, and ethical. Spurgeon's talking about the struggle, though, that we have with our identity. He says, in every believer's heart, there's a constant struggle between the old nature and the new. The old nature is very active. So if you are in Christ... Your flesh is still barking in your ear, isn't he or she barking in your ear? He says the old nature is very active and loses no opportunity of plying all the weapons of, your deadly, of its deadly armor against newborn grace. 
While on the other hand, the new nature, that is your identity in Christ, your spirit nature, is ever on the watch to resist and destroy its enemy. Grace within us will employ prayer, faith, hope, and love to cast out the evil. It takes on to itself the whole armor of God and wrestles earnestly. So let me just, this is your application and we've got to move on to inheritance. Let the scripture say who you are. Let the, the testimony of the apostles and the prophets, let Christ himself say, you are mine. You are a son of Adam. You are a daughter of Eve. And don't even let your own flesh, your own deceptive, deceived at times, conscious, speak into your identity as much as Christ speaks of who you are in him. And a part of our identity is our adoption that we enjoy our inheritance. If we are in Christ, our identity in Christ, we're no longer the, a part of the same family. We have an inheritance. A uh, little Tolkien here, you're sons and daughters of a king, you're swordsmen and shield maidens. But it's important that we think of ourselves in terms of our inheritance. And inheritance is all the benefits. We're adopted into the family of Christ as our older brother, and we have all the riches that Paul has unpacked and will finish unpacking in the rest of this letter throughout Scripture. It's yours. It's mine. It is the church's. Our inheritance is rich. And along with that inheritance of rich spiritual blessings is a responsibility. Think of it. If you are charged with care of the kingdom as Adam and Eve were, and as that care was re instituted or reaffirmed in the Great Commission, that inheritance entails responsibility for us all, doesn't it? We care for this wonderful creation as was discussed, as was sung about, as was, was prayed about. God's glory revealed in his creation and he's enjoined us to care for it. That's our inheritance. Because he rescued us in Colossians, he says, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he goes on in that rest, the rest of those few verses through verse 20 of Colossians 1, talks about all things are his. He created all things. All things are his and they're ours through this inheritance. 1 Corinthians 3 says, it's all yours. So then let no one boast in men for all things belong to you. We're going to need that, aren't we? to be courageous and to wade into that world. It is a fallen, broken place, as the scripture says earlier in this chapter, groaning for his redemption. They are looking, they, whoever, them, the world, the glories of this fallen world are expecting Christ's great redemption. I think adoption's not talked about enough, but I didn't come up with that. Packer said that 40 years ago in Knowing God. He says, for hundreds of years, for centuries, theologians haven't talked enough about our inheritance, about our union with Christ, the adoption that's um, there. And uh, the last thing I'll share with that one commentator makes this comment about Paul in this letter and other letters. Whatever Paul was heralding as he went around the Mediterranean world, our post-enlightenment category of religion is far too restricted to handle it. The good news is the good news of a whole new kingdom, not just the successful abduction of certain souls. <laughs> I love that. 
It's so much bigger. But it is about you being abducted and taken prisoner and set free and about Christ owning us and about him giving us this inheritance. Look, and the last thing I'll say about inheritance, he has given us these great and present promises to accompany you in the fight. It's not easy. Don't hear me say it's easy. That's why we need courage. He gives us help along the way. You know, when D-Day occurred at World War II, most historians said the, the, bat, the war was won when we had a beachhead. But do you know how much suffering went on from the time that D-Day occurred to, the, to VE Day and VJ Day? Thousands upon thousands died. But the victory was won. It is so similar. It is even more powerfully true for us. The victory has been won for us in Christ. And that's our last point. Our intercessor. You have an intercessor. Look, he interceded for you and for me at the cross. His blood on the cross has secured life everlasting for you. But so much more he ever lived, Scripture says, to intercede for you. You're going to need, I need that. We need that now. That he intercedes. So your identity your inheritance and this great intercessor. He has provided us all things. And in case we forget, he sits at the right hand of the Father. Elsewhere in Scripture, we just looked at Acts yesterday. How many, some of you are at worship, Lookout Mountain with us, and uh, Pastor Middlebrooks unpacked the stoning and the, the martyrdom of Stephen. It says at that point of his death that Jesus was standing. He saw Jesus standing because he was going from his position of rest, which meant security and victory, to interceding for Stephen at that point. He was standing, as it were, on Stephen's behalf. And that's the intercessor that you have if you are in Christ. Be an intercessor. I got three minutes. Be bold. In Iraq. I was there with a good friend of mine, his daughter, sitting here in the audience, uh, Colonel, then Colonel, now General Gerard. We almost lost a guy. Combat casualty. I'm at the hospital um, with the brothers. His guys are just grieving because they think he's gone. And the, all the surgeons, phenomenal group of medical folks there trying to keep him alive. They just need to stabilize him so they can put him on a medical transport to launch to us. It's the only way he's going to live. He, he keeps coding, you know what that means, and they keep trying to keep his heart going. And then finally a doc comes to me and says, Chaplain, we can't get him stable. He's not going to make it. Can you come pray? And, and I've been there already for about four hours with all the guys and, and gals because there's a big staff trying to save me. So I go in there and just pray and I acknowledge, God, he is yours. This young man belongs to an American family, a wonderful part of our society would you be merciful and his heart almost immediately stabilized and he was on the transport in about three hours now nothing about chaplain bob then had anything to do per se except that i was there willing to intercede and a bunch of other brothers and sisters joined with me until that point we were all praying quietly i don't know why god chose to do it that way it was a suddenly a very public thing the entire staff heard it maybe they needed encouragement but be an intercessor it may not be in an official capacity as a lay as a clergy it may be you're interceding through law or through medicine you're interceding through business you're interceding through uh social 
reform through getting involved economically in our cities and in our towns, but be an intercessor like your great intercessor. What shall we say to these things? This is what you say, and I close. Packer summed it up. I thought it was great. God, you are our sovereign protector. God, you are our sovereign benefactor. God, you are our sovereign champion. And God, you are our sovereign keeper. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time and your word, ever brief that it is. I pray that you would enable us to hear this message of the gospel, that if we are in Christ, we have a great identity, a great inheritance, and a great intercessor. Be with these wonderful young men and women. Bless their studies, bless their lives, and protect them. And make them courageous. Make them not fearless, but make them super excited and eager to trust you with all their fears and all their wants and needs as well as all their opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen.